You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 108. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we will begin by briefly revisiting our discussion on Facebook from last week. We will touch on electric car manufacturer Tesla overtaking Toyota as the world's most valuable car manufacturer by market cap and Warren Buffett's first significant purchase since COVID-19. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a look at three interesting companies. The first, Metafarm Labs, symbol L-A-B-S on the TSX Venture, once a singular standout in terms of profitability in the Canadian cannabis sector, has lost 70% of its value in 2020. Is it an opportunity or a value trap? We will let you know. Our second segment, and Aaron will be running a comparison on NVIDIA Corporation, symbol NVDA on the NASDAQ, and Advanced Micro Devices, AMD on the NASDAQ. NVIDIA is a leading designer of graphic processing units, GPUs, which are used in high-end PCs for gaming, data centers, as well as AI and machine learning applications. For its part, Advanced Micro Devices produces microprocessors for computers and consumer electronic industries with the majority of its sales in CPUs and GPUs. We will compare and contrast the two and see if one offers more value over the other. I'd like to welcome my co-host. I'm going to say Brennan is on assignment this week, but we have our true heavyweight, Mr. Aaron Dunn, back from a stint on beautiful Vancouver Island. Are you feeling refreshed, Mr. Dunn? Yeah, everything's good, although I think you're just saying that I'm the true heavyweight because Brennan's not here. So, Or he's just you know, a lightweight relative. Yeah, Brennan was, here. Yeah, speaking, Brennan was here. I don't think he'd be saying that. <laughs> or is it just that he's smaller than you? Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, it could be. And, uh, and I mean by inches, and that's what we're talking about in terms of height anyways. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's not here life. to defend himself. He's larger than life. Yeah, so we can just basically spend the next 30 minutes running him down because yeah. he's not here to defend himself. I mean, but. you were on the island this weekend, but you still were doing some work there. You were uh, you were on and you appeared on uh, Money Talks with Michael Campbell. How'd that appearance go? It was good. Uh Essentially, we just talked about what was going on in the market right now, how we were positioning our clients. We talked, of course, a little bit about our dividend growth investing strategy, how we believe that should make up the foundation of somebody's portfolio, and then how they can move beyond that and augment and increase those returns by adding some higher growth small cap companies, some some healthcare companies, some big uh, U.S. tech themes, and really build that robust portfolio that's going to be able to do well in a variety of different market environments. And I, I think the main theme of what I was really trying to get across is that, especially in any type of a market, it's incredibly difficult to predict what the stock market is going to do or the economy is going to do over the next six to 12 months. 
Uh, that's in the best of times and these are far from the best of times. So rather than spending your time trying to forecast and predict and time the market, we believe that the best strategy for most people is to build a portfolio that will do well in a variety of different markets. And that of course starts with the dividend growth stocks and then adding good quality profitable growth companies on top of that. So I think uh, I think things went well. I haven't received any angry emails since, but <laughs> just for me though. Yeah, but that's just that I, I'm me. used right. to that. I just yeah. yeah. That's every weekend, mm-hmm. right? So well, every, No, but every um we you and you guys touched on it, and that segues into you're talking about how to build basically a portfolio for the next decade and then we're uh we're actually putting out on the 14th and 16th of this month a couple new seminars that are exactly titled that portfolio, uh, how to build that portfolio for the next decade. So we'll provide some more info, info on those on uh, next week's show as well. But I'm going to get into further from our comments for, on Facebook last week, uh, including the advertiser boycott. Uh, I, I happened to look at Yahoo Finance this week. Um and the lead article there was how to, to delete your Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp accounts. Uh, first off, what I would say on this is I could say probably how, what the hell was I doing reading Yahoo Finance anymore. But, um, but there are there's similar, art, similar articles to this that I've seen popping up all over the world. I'd say personally, um, I'm not sure how many people really are going to you know, cut the Facebook type cord. Uh, at least completely. I mean, if, if you delete all your accounts, it's all those photos that everybody likes, all those videos, all the life events, your precious comments and memories are gone. So uh, true, you can back up those pictures, I guess. But um, like, wh- where are you going to report all these? Are you going back to MySpace or something like that? I'm not sure. People are, in my opinion, addicted to social media, Facebook, Instagram, all of those properties of Facebook. Um Will they be able to go days, weeks, and months without, you know, their constant social affirmations? I'm not so sure. Um, I don't know what your comments on that are. Well, I'm I'm a little old school. I've still been using Friendster. So I I haven't gotten off Friendster yet, and I mean it's 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 been pretty uh, it's been pretty quiet on there lately for Mm -hmm. sure. So you still search using. You search the internet using Alta Vista or something or Ask Jeeves, don't you? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, I'd say I'd go to advertisers, right? Like, there's a you've seen the boycott there. There's a great deal of power here. Um, if they move their dollars somewhere else or pull them on the sidelines, uh, change occurs at Facebook. Um, but Facebook has a great audience that all these advertisers want to reach. In my opinion, I think they'll reach some rosy agreement and resume advertising on Facebook's platforms with with vigor because I mean, I think they see great results on those type of platforms relative to traditional media. And while they'll have some change, um, I don't think they want to be off it that long, to be honest. No. And I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, with you on that. So in my opinion, these companies, I don't think that for the most part, they really care about the social issues they're talking about supporting. I think that they're in and a maybe position. Maybe some do, right? But Maybe but, some yeah, do. But maybe like some that. do. Yeah. But I think that more than anything else, this is a situation where they don't want to be seen and perceived as doing nothing. They yeah. don't want to be in a situation where they could be called out down the road. Um, You're as so being cynical, supporters Mr. Dunn. So well, cynical. I just, um, I'm, I've, I've been living in the world for over 40 years. You're so. a realist is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. Um, but... It, it, it is, it, I mean, it is a real uh, 
public relations issue, right? If yeah. you are affiliated yeah, with a platform that is, you know, being accused of not policing hate speech yeah. and and violent uh, violent content. So, what what I'm thinking is that Facebook at some point is going to make some changes, and they have made changes in the past. It's not like they've been sitting on their hands, at least publicly. They have made some changes to try and police these things. It's just a matter of you know, how effective are these changes? And so far, it seems like they haven't really been that effective at all. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the uh, providers of this content, and I think that there's a lot of money that goes into it as well from the providers of the uh, of content that is deemed to be offensive, um, because a lot of people click on it, like a lot of people want to see it. So there's a lot of money that goes into that as well. And a lot of money goes into figuring out how to circumvent the different protocols that um, platforms like Facebook put in 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 place. So it's not a matter of just, you know, making some changes and then and then doing nothing. It's it's basically a constant cat and mouse game um, and seeing who can stay ahead of the other. But I think that more than likely uh, Facebook is going to make some changes. They'll do it publicly. um, And then slowly these advertisers will start trickling back in. I mean, ultimately, as you said, they provide uh, they provide access to a very attractive um, market. Of potential buyers and this is not just facebook as well this is mm-hmm. this is instagram as well other platforms so for companies to just stay off of that platform and not advertise to it well i i you know i'm not uh i'm not convinced that that's going to continue because ultimately they have to advertise and i mean is google is youtube um twitter like are any of these other platforms really that much better i know that the focus right now is on facebook and there's good reasons for that but um, if I mean, if they switch their ad spend to, to Google six months down the road, they can be in the same position. So, you know, this is really about public relations and making it look like you're like you're doing something. Um, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not really thinking that it's that these companies are going to stay away from Facebook forever. And, and, you know, the change, there's likely some very positive change that can occur and will occur. And, uh, but, you know, will, will they stay away forever? And, and that's, if you're looking at Facebook as an investment, uh, you know, I, I don't believe they're going to stay away forever. The return on invested capital, like invested dollars in advertising is far easier to track, far better, in my opinion, on Facebook than on a many traditional media platforms. So um, if you're making a ton of money advertising through Facebook. Um, you get the change you want, or at least you want for public relations, and then you get right back on the platform. For the long term, is Facebook um, going to be significantly affected? Um, you know, we would say that they'll make some change and likely, you know, continue to grow over the long term. I wasn't super positive on Facebook even before this happened. Um, I, I like. I think that it's a good, solid company, good profit, good growth. But from a valuation perspective, with the uncertainty um, in the short term, I was already a little bit cautious on it. Um, now this would make me a little bit cautious in the in the in the near term as well. But um, you know, ultimately, there's a lot of talk about breaking up companies like Facebook. I don't know if that's going to solve the problem, though. I don't know. Is it easier to police this if you're dealing with? 20 different social media platforms as opposed to just, you know, one to three. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not somebody who's going to spend a lot of time investigating that. So, um, yeah, but right now I, I wouldn't be a buyer of Facebook unless you just wanted to slowly kind of add position here and there and, and build it up over time. All right, let's move to electric car manufacturer Tesla. On Wednesday of this past week, you became the highest 
valued automaker as its shares surged to record highs and the electric car maker's market cap overtook former frontrunner Toyota. Um, now, by Wednesday, the company's market cap had been over 200, $209 billion. That's roughly $6 billion more than Toyota at its current, that is currently valued by investors. Uh, Tesla is now worth, if you can believe this, more than triple the combined value of the U.S. automakers, General Motors, and Ford Motor Co. Uh, the shares are up over 170% since the start of 2020. Um, after several years of losses, on the bright side, Tesla has delivered three straight profitable quarters and surprised investors with solid first quarter deliveries despite the virus outbreak. Uh, let's give a quick comparison here be, between Toyota and uh, Tesla, where they are financially right now. Toyota is one of the most profitable automakers worldwide. It sold 10.46 million vehicles during the fiscal year 2019. Um, it reported revenues that year of $281 billion. Now, Tesla, in comparison, ended 2019 with $24.6 billion in revenues. Um, having sold just 367,000 vehicles, essentially. Now, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, has said uh, that it'll sell at least 500,000 or half a million vehicles in 2020. Um, so revenues uh, at, ta- uh, at uh, Toyota are 10 times higher uh, than Tesla, and it sells roughly 20 times more cars based on Tesla's estimates. Despite this, like we said, uh, Tesla has now a higher market cap, a higher market value by uh, investors. It's been granted a higher market value. Now, Tesla is expected to report second quarter delivery numbers this week. Uh, my thoughts are in terms of valuations. Tesla appears to be factoring in very optimistic view of the future. In March, uh, Tesla's CEO, his founder, Elon Musk, said himself when the shares were trading at $755, he said, and I quote, Tesla's stock price is too high in his opinion. Um, Now today, Tesla's shareholders are $1,300 US, so that's 72% higher than when Musk stated uh, through Twitter that the share price in uh, Tesla was too high. That was just four months ago. So it's very interesting times for Tesla. We'll continue to monitor it. But uh, the valuations do tend to suggest that the company is pricing in a very, very optimistic uh, future. Certainly. And, and just, to, just to say something positive about them, one of the criticisms that I've had in the past is that the company hasn't really proven its business model through profitability. Well, they have now had three straight quarters yeah, of, of net profit, which is, is certainly a positive. Um, net profit is, I mean, $1.24 in non-GAAP earnings per share in the last quarter, um, $1,300 share price. I mean, the valuation for us is is absolutely astronomical i mean it, it would be too high for keystone but at least they are uh getting getting into profitability and hopefully that will continue i think that uh they would the profitability would absolutely have to explode from here to justify the valuation in my opinion yeah i mean it, it's it's factoring in them becoming obviously the dominant player in not just electric cars just uh, they're going to sell electric cars but cars green cars generally uh, and cars throughout the world uh, generally because you know the highest market cap market value is now on tesla so um you know we'll see if 
uh, Elon Musk gets proven right in the short term uh, is, you know, he thought the share price was overvalued when it was uh, at 755. Now we're cresting 13 hundred dollars us so it's interesting times interesting to watch that valuations and some of the you know the technology based or the greener based companies as well seem to be you know priced very optimistically right now and we'll just leave it at that i'll just i'll uh, just make one one last comment here i did do a quick value valuation on price to sales it's it's trading about 11 times sales which is actually not too bad for a company in that space so is if what they need to do at this point now is they need to increase that profitability and drive more of those revenues to the to the bottom line. Um, but on a price to sales, it's it's not too too bad. Uh, but certainly on a price to to earnings, we're we're not even close. While I'm doing this next segment, if you can quickly, I'll task you to look at what the price to sales on Toyota is. I know it's not apples to apples comparison, but uh, if you could do that now, Warren Buffett finally opened up his wallet during the pandemic uh, with nearly a $10 billion purchase. Over the weekend, Berkshire Hathaway, his massive holding company, uh, stated they're going to acquire Dominion Energy, uh, natural gas transmission and storage business, valued at $9.7 billion, including the assumed debt. Now, Buffett uh, stated that his firm acquired a great portfolio of natural gas assets that also includes a 25% stake in Cove Point, an LNG export, import, and storage facility in Maryland. He said, we are proud to be adding such a great uh, portfolio of natural gas assets to our already strong energy business. Uh, we looked at a couple comments. One, an analyst from JP Morgan said the acquired assets had earnings before taxes, depreciation, or EBITDA of around $1 billion. And he called the price not the highest price we have seen for gas pipelines to transact at. It's certainly not um, what I would call a bargain purchase. Uh, Dominion shares were trading at near all-time highs. So it'll be interesting to see how this purchase works out. I mean, I, I hate to bet against Warren Buffett over the long term. But Berkshire had uh, heading into this year and ended after the end of the first quarter, sorry, about $137 billion in cash on hand. And Buffett has been criticized for missing the stock market rally from the lows. Um, I think that's a difficult criticism in that, um, you know, it, it probably it was very difficult to predict a V-shaped recovery after uh, um, what has happened to the economy. And you can see a divergence with Main Street and Wall Street right now. So whether or not, and Buffett is looking long-term, so we'll see five years from now whether his choice to not purchase a ton of shares in a three-week window or a one-month window proves to be uh, a poor decision or a prescient decision. Now, uh, we'll continue to monitor this purchase. I mean, it's... it's it, it is a big purchase, relatively speaking, uh, in terms of what he's done lately uh, in his portfolio. But, uh, you know, it's about 7% uh, impact on Berkshire Hathaway. So uh, we'll continue to monitor that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying Warren Buffett is washed up. But uh, I find you know, that we've heard that before. start saying that is typically the time that you really have to start to pay attention to what Warren is doing. I mean, that's what yeah. they were saying right around the, the peak of the, the tech boom as well. That yeah, he, the he dot-com bubble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he did fairly well following that. So, 
and he wasn't participating at the uh, end of the market that got crushed. So, I believe they were also uh, making fun of him um, during the financial crisis, right around the time where the market started to recover. Yeah, so. it happens, and uh, you know he continues to chug on and create, you know, buy good cash flow producing businesses, which serves his uh, shareholders well and has for a long, long period of time. So let's look at our Your Stock, Our Take segment. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. We're going to have Aaron. He's got a question that came in from Rob via email. Rob asks, could you give your thoughts on NVIDIA and AMD? Could you compare the two and which one you like better? Aaron, you want to take that? Sure. So NVIDIA Corporation, NVDA, is uh, trading right now at about $393. They are a leading designer of GPUs or graphics processing units, uh, which are used in high-end PCs for gaming, um, also in data centers, and as well for artificial intelligence and machine learning applications. Advanced Micro Devices, symbol AMD, is trading for about $53 per share. They produce microprocessors for the computer electronics industry. Uh, Most of their sales are in CPUs, central processing units, and GPUs, graphic processing units, as well. So what's the difference? From an operating perspective, both companies design and manufacture GPUs. The difference is that NVIDIA is specifically focused on that market, while AMD also produces CPUs. Generally speaking, NVIDIA's GPUs are higher end, and they are also used widely in artificial intelligence and machine learning, as well as gaming. AMD's GPUs can be used in those applications as well, but they are primarily for gaming. If you're looking for a GPU company that's going to be used in uh, autonomous driving, more in autonomous driving and robotics, uh, then more than likely NVIDIA will continue to be a leader in that space. We'll take a look at the the financial performance between the two companies. I'll start here with NVIDIA. In their last quarter, they reported revenues of $3.1 billion. That's up 39% from the from the same quarter in the previous year, but down 1% compared to the most recent quarter. Earnings per share for NVIDIA were $1.80, which is up 105% year over year and down 4% from the most recent quarter. And AMD, uh, they reported similar growth in revenue. Revenue for the last quarter was $1.8 billion, up 40%, but down 16%, up 40% year over year, but down 16% from the most recent quarter. And AMD's earnings per share were $0.18, which is up from $0.06 in the same quarter last year and down from $0.14 uh, in in the last quarter. Both companies have strong cash-rich balance sheets. NVIDIA reports a cash balance of $15.5 billion and debt of $7.4 billion. This equates to $14.50 per share in net cash. AMD has a cash balance of $1.3 billion and debt of about $700 million for a net cash balance of about $0.59 per share. Uh, Over the past three years, both companies have grown their revenue at an average annual rate of about 16%. And looking at valuation over the past 12 months, NVIDIA's reported earnings per share of 671, which equates to a price to earnings valuation of 60 times. AMD earnings per share of 66 cents, which equates to a price to earnings valuation of 80 times. From an operating perspective, the main difference between the companies is that NVIDIA operates in more of a niche market and produces higher end GPUs. AMD's GPUs and CPUs are found more widely in just general 
uh, personal computers and are primarily used in gaming. It appears as well that NVIDIA has more market share in the data center space, which is very attractive due to some due to the trends of cloud computing, autonomous driving, and artificial intelligence. Based on valuation, we wouldn't be quick to recommend either company. Financial performance has been strong recently and generally strong for both companies over the past several years. However, there has been some financial volatility from both companies. And given these high valuations, we would want to see consistent revenue growth above 20% per year. Both are solid businesses, but my preference would likely be NVIDIA due to its leadership in the higher-end GPU market and how it's benefiting from the strong trends in AI, machine learning, and cloud computing. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I think, you know, those are the last three uh, items you mentioned there are items that we talk about at our seminars all the time as growth drivers going forward. And uh, NVIDIA is certainly positioned well in those markets. So great summary. And I think, I hope that answers Rob's question and uh, and gives you some insight into those two businesses and where the differences lie. Now let's take a look at our our final Your Stock, Our Take of this week. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. Uh, it comes in from Charlie via email. Been watching Metafarm for a year. Does the recent drop make it a bargain? Well, the company is Metafarm Labs Corp, symbol L-A-B-S on the TSX Venture. Currently trades at around $1.22, $164 million market cap. What does the company do? Metafarm specializes in the production of purified pharmaceutical quality cannabis oil and concentrates and advanced derivative products. Let's look at some key points here. While the company has often stated that its long-term focus is on the pharma market, Metafarm appears to be now emphasizing its move from an extraction business to pure for recreational use to the pharma side. Now, the Q1 numbers in 2020 were ugly. Management stated that due to a reduction in average selling price of bulk extracts and reduced volumes sold because of continued muted demand in the Canadian bulk wholesale market, First quarter revenues was down 49% over the same period last year. The company lost net loss was $22 million, uh, partially attributable to a write-down of $12.8 million of inventory, but adjusted EBITDA was a loss of $5.7 million compared to a gain of $4.3 million in the Q1 period of 2019. Subsequent to the end of the quarter, Metafarm successfully completed a $37.8 million private placement. Now, our take. Investors who participated in that financing just prior to management issuing its Q1 profit warning have a right not to be happy. The company closed its share offering on June 8th, just three days prior to management uh, issuing a Q1 profit warning. Shares have dropped almost 30% since the warning and around 70% this year. Now, for much of 2019, Metafarm appeared to be a beacon of profitability in a Canadian cannabis segment that was wrought with losses. It does appear that much of the growth in extraction over the past year in that business was powered by either optimistic demand from its end customers and or a supply side that was far overbuilt overbuilt and stuffing inventory to start operations. 
It could be argued, though, that near-term management has just executed poorly, as quasi-competitor Valens Growworks actually reported a profitable Q1 2020, albeit that Valens quarter ended just one month earlier. It's not a complete apples-to-apples comparison, but close. Now, Metafarm uh, has a cash-rich balance sheet. It appears it will need that cash, as the company will likely face further Canadian market inefficiencies in the near term. Uh, weakening its sales while it tries to ramp up for international sales agreements and expansion. We monitor the company because it has a good balance sheet and has had some profitability in the past, but we are no, no hurry to buy right now given the move, uh, the significant move to negative cash flow in the last quarter. And and that this has really been the, the theme with cannabis companies in general, particularly in Canada, is we're now have come to the reality where all of these extremely aggressive targets uh, that these companies have set for themselves are all being reset. And we're seeing that it was really uh, years of fiction um, and, and stories being told and high levels of promotion that these companies are, going, are, are coming nowhere near hitting the levels of production and revenue and profitability that they, that they were promising investors one to three years ago. So it's, um, it's a good lesson for people to learn because there is just so much hype around the cannabis space. And now we're really seeing many of these companies fall apart, start to not even, not even um, hit their production targets that they made in the past, but also scaling back and laying off workers and reducing production that they had achieved um, over the past year. So it's, uh, it's just, a, just another example of why not to follow the herd when it comes to investing. Yeah, and I think overbuilt for sure. Um, we've been chronicling that for a couple years now, and you know, asking investors to stay away and our clients to stay away from the Canadian market, particularly in terms of cannabis. But you touched on promotion as well. Like so much of the capital that was raised uh, in this sector was just employed poorly, and uh, you know, when we talk about an overbuild, it went into you know, too many companies and uh, it lined the pockets of a bunch of promoters uh, in this market and a bunch of brokerages who uh, were opportunistic and investors got greedy. You know, they should take some responsibility themselves, uh, investing in uh, names rather than businesses. And, uh, you know, that's how you get hurt in the market short term. You know, it can seem sexy and there can be some profitability there. But I mean, this was a company that was you know, profitable. But if you explore, you know, the reasons for profitability in the near term, um, you know, it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors and part of the overbuild fed into the profitability here and the oversupply and the, you know, the lack of strategy, the rollout of cannabis uh, in retail as well. But, you know, buying these names rather than buying profitable businesses, uh, can lead to catastrophic losses and we've seen it and we've seen all the layoffs that have come in this industry the shutdowns the bankruptcies there's probably more in the end we continue to monitor it because we believe there is going to be some winners in this segment uh, but it's probably continued more pain uh, before we see some gain here and at some point there'll be an opportunity we'll probably swoop in and pick up a really high quality name that is selling into a market that needs to be sold to uh but it'll be probably when everybody's absolutely sworn off the sector and that'll be a great time to buy not when it's overhyped and uh, that's the time to be looking to either sell or just not get involved at all 
So I'd like to thank Aaron Dunn, my co-host this week. Brennan will be back next week. Uh, we'll look forward to that. We'll have somebody to rip, which will be better. And uh, I'd like to, you know, everybody stay safe out there and uh, wish everybody profitable investing. Profitable investing.